We're going to be talking about prayer today, and I uh, encourage you to turn in your Bibles to uh, the book of Ephesians. I'll let you find your way there. We'll get to that in uh, just a minute, but that's the focus of uh, our text here and our, uh, our topic today. I know that for many people, the whole topic of prayer in schools uh, is a big issue, and uh, meaning that uh, for a lot of people, there's a lot of lament in, in terms of the Lord's Prayer seemingly being systematically taking, taken out of schools uh, all across the nation and, and across uh, North America. But as I was thinking about that, I thought, what, what is it that actually stops us from praying? Like, does that really stop us uh, from praying for our schools, in our schools? Um, do we need a formal expression of it? Can we only pray if it's legislated? You know, God invites us to pray. God calls us to pray entices us to pray, welcomes us to pray, even to pray without ceasing. And it seems to me that we have opportunities all around us all the time, and the freedom, relatively speaking, in this country to pray without ceasing, in all circumstances, and in all kinds of places, in all kinds of ways. And so my question, even when it comes to that, has prayer actually been taken out, or have we just stopped praying? Now, some might ask the same question of the church. Why has prayer been taken out of the churches? Or maybe not taken out, but why is prayer not elevated more? Why don't we pray more? Which is also, I think, a fair question. You know, many churches get lots of suggestions and and even provide lots of opportunities of ways to pray as people have a longing for more prayer. And so suggestions are given and opportunities are given, whether it's early morning prayer, times of prayer and fasting, 24-7 prayer, week of prayer, Uh, All kinds of different expressions of prayer that people say they want, and even those who lament maybe the lack of prayer, but then oftentimes, even when it's offered, they don't come out. It's like, okay, so where are they? Where are the prayers, even when the opportunities are there? And I guess my, my conviction this morning, and even just the things that God is unsettling in my heart about this, is that we don't need more legislation on prayer. We Maybe don't need more teaching on prayer. Maybe we don't even need more opportunities on prayer. Maybe we do. Or is it that we just need more obedience? We just need more responsiveness. Do we just need to engage more in prayer? With the opportunities and the invitations that are continuously there in front of us. You know, I've met actually very few people for who prayer comes easily. I have met some. And there are those, and some of you are those, and God bless you folks, because there are some who they just love to pray, and they, can, they just can't wait. In fact, it energizes them, and they can't get wait, wait to get either alone or with a group of people, but prayer just invigorates them, and I love that. I love being around people like that. But I know that for a lot of people, it doesn't come easy. It's not that much, or it's more of a challenge for them to pray. Prayer is hard for many people. For people who've been in the church and who've been part of the life of faith and maybe a follower of Christ for years and years and years, it can be really hard, let alone those who are maybe new to faith. And maybe you're somebody that's here this morning who's been connected to the Alpha program and you're still trying to understand what it means to have a life of faith. And so this prayer question is a really tangible one. And for some people, it's really intimidating and it's really challenging and it feels really foreign, and even hard for some people. I get that. George Barna, in some of his research that he has done, and many of you know some of the research that he's done within the Christian church in in North America, he 
In one study, discovered that the average Christian spends more time watching TV in one day than all the Christian pursuits, including prayer, in a given week. Which is a pretty sobering statistic. And he's asking the question, where, where is our prayer life at? Prayer has been described by some, as, even as I talk to people, Described as intimidating, at times it's hard, it can be boring, maybe irrelevant. They wonder, does it produce anything? Is it practical? Many other things, as people reflect on that. But I want you to know that today isn't about guilt. It's not about guilt. But it is about asking the big questions. That's what this series has been about. And so, in this focus on prayer, I also want us to be asking the big questions. Such as, how is God inviting you to pray in this season of your life? What is it that God is nudging in you? What is it that God is stirring up within you about prayer? Or are you living a functionally prayerless life? That's a big question. That's a hard question. One that we have to be really honest about. Because, you know, if we live a prayerless life, really prayerlessness is in many ways a subtle declaration of our independence from God. It's really saying, okay, you know what, God, I don't really need you. I can handle this on my own. I can function through life on my own accord and under my own strength. Now, we don't usually state it that way. We're usually not quite that forthright. But subtly, our lives can sometimes reflect that. And our prayer lives can sometimes reflect that as well. Then there's corporate prayer. Now, I've been talking really about both, but often when we think about prayer, we think of it in the individual sense. And I want to remind us again today, especially as we look at the book of Ephesians, which is written to this church, a church called to be a praying church, to think of it corporately as well, too. And so we've had those opportunities, and we've been in those settings of corporate prayer, and, and sometimes those are intimidating to us because maybe they're, they're a little bit too tedious, and they're a little bit too legislated, depending on how they've been led, or maybe we go through too many lists. Or maybe it's that it feel like, maybe it just feels sometimes like gossip and we don't know what to do with that. Maybe we're terrified to pray out loud. And so when we gather together with other people, to pray out loud is is just way too intimidating. Maybe corporate prayer is too boring. Maybe we're afraid that it's going to get too exciting and something weird is going to happen. We don't know what to do with that either. So we kind of shy away, right? Maybe it's that it's been disappointing. And you've struggled with, what's, what's the purpose behind it? There are all kinds of reasons that prayer is challenging. I get that. So I want us to ask the question today, why pray? Why is it that God invites us to pray? Last week in the series called Big Questions, you met Brian Weens, our new site pastor at Broadway, who is speaking here. And Brian and Amy and their girls are here again this morning, and They'll be starting at at the gathering at Broadway uh, site in the next couple of weeks. But Brian asked the question and was working through the question of how can I have faith? And you got a chance to meet him and, and, and got a sense of Brian's passion, some of them, and his background and his gifts, and how he will stretch us as a church, all congregations, not just at Broadway. And it's so great to have him here and, and Amy here and your girls, and we welcome you. And last week, Brian said, faith is responding to Jesus with what you know right now. It's not having it all figured out, but it's responding to Jesus in the way that you know right now. And that faith is not less than reason, but that faith is going beyond reason. 
And when we think about the topic of prayer, we need to realize that we need faith. In fact, prayer is an expression of faith. It requires faith, and it is an expression of faith as well. Trusting in the one that we pray to, that he loves us enough to respond, that he loves us enough to listen, that he loves us enough to draw near. As I said, uh, we'll look at the uh, book of Ephesians, and I want to look at a number of of passages there. Uh, Ephesians is a letter about the beauty and the nature of the church that Paul wrote to this church in Ephesus, and in many ways, this was a church that, that Paul Uh, just enjoyed and delighted in because of some of the things that God was doing in that setting. And so the the letter to this church in Ephesus is a letter that that helps us to understand the way the church is to function. It helps us to understand the way the church is to operate. But it's also a letter that contains some of the most profound prayers that we have in all of Scripture. And we want to look at a few of those, and we want to look at some of the even the instructions and modeling of prayer that it leads us to. But I want to start with a simple verse that helps us to get at a little bit of the why question first. It's found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, Paul simply says this, For through him we, have bo- we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Now, what does that have to do with prayer? Well, it gets to the core of the reason why we pray. It says, so for through him, who's him? It's talking about Jesus Christ. We both, who's he talking about with both? He's been talking about Jews and Gentiles. We're going to go back and we're going to look at the context of this verse. But he's talking about both Jews and Gentiles. And he's saying we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access to the Father, to the loving Father through his Spirit. It's a very Trinitarian verse. In one short, simple verse, you see God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit right here within this one verse. And so Paul is saying that through him, through Jesus, we have access to the Father through his Holy Spirit. He's been teaching about the gospel. If you read through the first chapter of Ephesians, he's been teaching about the gospel of Jesus Christ, about the saving grace of Christ, that it is what Christ has done on the cross, this access to reconciliation and relationship that allows us to be in relationship with the living God. We have access to the Father. You look just over into chapter 3, verse 12, he, he says it this way. He says, in him and through faith in him, he's talking about Jesus again, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. So he says we have access. We can approach the living God. We can approach him with freedom and with confidence is what he's saying. So here's the point. He's saying that this God who created all the universe, this God who created all the galaxies, this God who created everything that is seen and unseen, This God who, as it says in Psalm 33, is the star breather, the one who breathed the stars into place, is also the God who knit you together in your mother's womb and is also the God who desires to have a relationship with you. And he's saying, this is an incredible truth. This is an amazing gift. This is what Paul is teaching this church. He's talking about this relationship with the living God that he is pointing us to. And you know, we all know that at the center and at the core of of any given relationship is communication, right? It's pretty hard to have a relationship without some form of communication. And typically, the more communication that you have and the healthier communication that you have, the better relationship that you have. I mean, imagine a relationship that had no communication, okay? There are some of those. I've told you before about my introverts club, right? 
you're all welcome to join it, but it's the club that never meets and we never talk. Right? It's not intended for building relationships. It's intended for me. That's not a good example of that because that's a different kind of thing, right? Okay, but in a healthy relationship, you need to have kinds of relationships and communication that happens on a little bit broader scale. But imagine if you even had limited communication. You had a relationship where all you did was email each other. That was it. Or all you did was text each other. Now, I know there are some relationships like that too. But imagine that you just only had a relationship by Twitter, like 144 characters, that's all you get, and you just sort of send that out back and forth, that was your relationship, or Instagram, or take your pick, I mean, whatever it is, right? If that was all that you had in terms of communication for a relationship, it wouldn't go that deep, would it? Now think about the difference of actually sitting down together with somebody, face-to-face, and having a conversation that goes in two directions. A conversation where there is both speaking and listening. Well, a conversation that happens in the presence of a person, where you, you actually are in the presence of that person. It changes everything, right? Whatever kind of relationship that is. And that's what Paul was talking about here. He's saying we have access to the Father. You know, to the Gentiles, God was the God of the Jews. This was a church that had both Jew and Gentile in there that Paul is writing to. And you were one or the other. And these Jewish people who had all this tradition and all this history sort of grew up in the church kind of thing. They knew the law of Moses. They knew Abraham. They knew all of that history and all of these promises. And they were part of this promise of God. And then you had these Gentiles who were sort of the outsiders now. And Paul's writing to them as well too. And now he's saying in this text that things are different. Things are changed. I mean, you have to understand that these Gentiles, they weren't even allowed in the temple. There was an outer court. It was the Gentile court that they were allowed into. It was sort of the marketplace in the community. And they could go into that area. But the whole inside courts and everything that was inside, the Gentiles were never allowed into there. So this was their background. This was their mindset and understanding of how it is that you approach God. Okay, So the Jews can get closer, but the Gentiles were not even allowed outside or beyond the, this outside court. Like Sort of stay outside the temple was the message that they got. And now this gospel of Jesus changes everything. And it gets to the why we pray question. Let me just read from verse 14 and following the context of of this chapter, of this verse 18. For he himself is our peace, talking about Jesus, who has made the two groups, Jew and Gentiles, one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of all hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, you Gentiles, and peace to those who are near, you Jews. Both of you need Jesus. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God, with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now here's the great irony of this text and what Paul's teaching. And the Gentiles would not have missed this. Here's the people who were not allowed in the temple. And now Paul is saying, you, are now, you now are the temple. You get that? I mean, you are now the temple of God. 
of which his spirit dwells. What that would have meant to them, I don't think we can ever imagine. We don't understand that. But he's saying you have access to the living God who desires relationship with you, to know you, to commune with you, and to speak with you. And so Paul is teaching them this incredible gift of peace that what Jesus has done is he has broken down the walls of hostility and he has brought together these two people to make them into one people group. And that we are able to enter into this relationship of peace. You know, peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is the presence of Jesus. And that's what Paul is pointing to here. So in the big question of prayer, do we understand the privilege and the invitation of God to know him personally? Because this is the starting point. This is the key aspect of prayer. Otherwise, it's all mechanics. But it's this invitation to know the living God, to have this kind of relationship. And our prayer life is at the heart of this. So again, Ephesians is written to this church. Let me just look at a couple of the texts, other texts that that point us to prayer and in some ways model prayer for us. Starting in in Ephesians chapter 1, and we don't have time to read through all of it. I'd encourage you to read this text in its entirety. But Paul begins this letter with praise. Praising for the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And that's how he, he starts off. He says, praise be to the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And he goes on and and just lists these spiritual blessings. And so it's this prayer of praise. And he's just giving glory to God for all that he's done. And there's this section in verse 15 and 16 of chapter 1 where he has this section of thanksgiving, very appropriate on this Thanksgiving weekend as we think of how we are to pray. Paul says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So Paul is is praying this prayer of thanksgiving and he's just giving glory to God and thanking God for all he has done. And again, just modeling for us one of the ways, a a primary way that we want to pray of just giving thanks to God on a regular basis, regardless of our circumstances. And then in verse 17, he goes into a prayer of petition and he's praying and lifting these people up before God. And he says, I keep asking that that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. And on and on and on he goes. So he's lifting up these people before God and he says, I just, I pray that you would know the wonders and the glory and the power of God. I pray that that God would open your eyes and that you would have an awakening in your eyes to see him more fully. To, to view life's events and life's circumstances more through the eyes of Jesus than through just what you see in the, in the, in the human realm around you. That's what Paul is praying for for this church. What an incredible prayer as he models this for us. And then in chapter 3, verse 14 to 21, probably a prayer that many of you know. It's one of my favorite prayers in all of Scripture. You've heard me speak about it many times. But Paul is explaining the mystery of the gospel and how these two entities are, are drawn together of Jew and Gentile and how, what Jesus has done through the cross. And he says this mystery of, of the gospel has been revealed and you can know this. And so then he goes on this incredible prayer of praise for the church. And he says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What a prayer. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Can I get an amen? Amen. I mean, what an amazing prayer. If you ever are stuck with how to pray, just go to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 21. Just pray this prayer. You could pray this every day. Like There is just so much in this one text that just teaches us and guides us how to pray. Here is a way to just pray for the church, pray for people, that these things would be evident and come through. I mean, amazing prayer that, that Paul is praying for the church and modeling for us. Turn uh, to the last chapter, Ephesians chapter 6. Again, another well-known prayer where, where Paul is, is talking about this spiritual battle, and it's a different kind of prayer now. Paul said earlier in chapter 3, verse 10, that God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold, which means many forms, okay, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Okay, so Paul said that earlier in chapter 3. Here was the purpose of the church, that the wisdom of God in all of its forms would be known through the church in all the heavenly realms. In other words, we are fighting a different kind of battle. We see, we see things on, on the physical and in the day-to-day things, and we don't really fully understand what's going on. This is a spiritual battle. There's spiritual authority that you have as a church as you pray. And, and so we pray in that spiritual authority because there are things that are going on that we don't always see, but that are happening in the spiritual realm that Paul is pointing to. And he leads us and teaches in this incredible prayer. He says in verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And he says, therefore, put on the armor of God. And then about three or four times he says, and stand, stand, stand your ground, stand firm, stand on these promises, put on these things. He says, right? The belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit, all of these things. Then he says in verse 18, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. He's saying, here's how you do this. You do this through prayer. By praying in the spirit at all times. And you put on these things. And you fight this spiritual battle. Paul instructs us in so many incredible ways. Throughout the book of Ephesians. This letter to the church in Ephesus. About why we are to pray. And how we are to pray. And what difference does prayer make. There are just so many things here that it captures. Because you know what? It's through prayer that we confess our sins. And receive his grace and forgiveness. The gift of of reconciliation between us and God. It's through prayer that we praise God and worship Him and declare thankfulness to Him, declare His character and His glory, and we are reminded of His attributes and His character. It is through prayer that we convey our understanding of God back to God and declare it to others as well as they listen in. It's through prayer that we cry out to God in our doubt and in our desperation, in our fears, in our disappointments, as we reveal our true hearts. Our true hearts, which he welcomes and he draws near. 
does not push us away. It is through prayer that we become silent and listen to our Heavenly Father. Words of peace, words of hope, courage, comfort, through His Word, through His Spirit, and through His people. And sometimes as we gather together to pray with other people, we need to do that because we need to hear the prayers of other people that are prayers of faith that we don't have. And they encourage us, they challenge us, they give us faith, and we join in with them as they pray on our behalf, even though they don't even know that they're doing that. So the need to gather corporately to pray and to listen and to be in relationship and in communication with God. It's through prayer that we bring others before God and we intercede on their behalf, praying for their peace, for their life, for their faith. It is through prayer that we declare and we stand on the power of God alone in the heavenlies. We put on God's armor. So I'm asking, how will you pray? How will we pray? How is God stirring in your heart today? How is this question settling with you or unsettling within you? And how will you respond? Let me just give you a few opportunities just so that you're aware of opportunities for prayer. Every Sunday we have a prayer time at 8.45 to about 9.30 right here in the choir room. We haven't advertised a lot. It started out as an initiative with just staff and council, whoever could make it. Um, We haven't really promoted it a lot. Um, It's a small group who gathers there, but now you know. And you're welcome to come anytime. Meets here at 8.45 every Sunday. Anybody wants to come and pray, and we typically just intercede for our church. After the service, we provide many opportunities in different forms to pray. And often I say, you know what? Don't leave here unless you pray with somebody else in some way. You know, one of my own personal goals that I've, I've had for years every Sunday as I come here is to not leave here without asking if I can pray for somebody. It's just a personal goal doesn't need to be just because I'm a pastor. It's just because I think we need to be responsive to pray. And sometimes you say, you know what, I'll pray for you. And, and I think we need to just be more spontaneous and say, could I pray for you right now? And it's when we all take initiative and we start to create that kind of a culture of prayer that it changes things. As we pray for one another, quick to pray for one another. We have a weekly prayer focus that you can see on your, on your bulletin app and on the email that comes out. Every week there's a prayer focus within our Sask MB conference of churches and, and diff issues that you can pray for. MB Mission sends out uh, a daily prayer guide. Uh, C2C Network, our church planning network, has a prayer guide to pray for church planning within our country. I mean, there's so many different things. I mean, these are just a few within our MB family. But how will you intentionally grow in prayer this year? We've initiated three prayer summits a year. Just started doing that this last year. Worship-based prayer, where we come together and we worship our Heavenly Father and we just engage in prayer from 7 to 9 on a Sunday evening. We do it three times a year. On October 30th uh, is the next one. It's at our north site. It's in our, the, the new building. And as we pray for God, what will you have in store for that place? That won't be the only focus of that time, but that will be a primary focus of that time. I invite you to come out and be a part of that as we gather in that building and as we pray. On January 22nd is the next one here at Attridge that'll be here in the lounge. On May 7th, it'll be at Broadway. And the intent is that we rotate and one at each of our sites three times a year that we have this prayer summit. And it's time uh, to just worship-based prayer of worshiping God and praising Him and bringing these requests before the Father. I want to encourage you that if you are wired in this way, that if you have a passion for prayer, 
in whatever form and, and you just like to get more involved, first of all, just come out to some of these things. Just be engaged, be involved. But secondly, even to just email me or any one of us on staff and just say, hey, I'd like to find out more ways to connect in that way. We would love to hear from you in that way. So again, this isn't about guilt. Please don't hear that in any way. Because I too know what it's like to struggle with prayer. But it's also out of this conviction that God has given me and given the church that we need to be a praying people. And so my question is, is again, how will you respond and how will God work in prayer for you this year? Are you dissatisfied with your prayer life? Then I would encourage you to do something. Do something different. My guess is, is that your prayer life and your prayer patterns are perfectly designed for the results that you're seeing. We've heard that the definition of insanity or crazy is that, you know, you keep doing the same things over and over again and expect different results. Now, that might be overstating it because it's putting too much of it in our hands, and I get that. God responds in different ways, and God can respond in all kinds of ways, but I think it's part of it. How do we position ourselves and put ourselves in vulnerable places where actually we can allow God to work in new ways in prayer in our lives? Or maybe it's that you do pray, but God seems really silent. Maybe he's answering in ways that we prefer he wouldn't. Or maybe he's wanting to teach us about perseverance and faith through dark times or through silence in times because God doesn't always respond in the ways that we want. And we know that in Isaiah 55 it talks about how God's ways are not our ways and we cannot understand God's thoughts because they are different than our thoughts. We know that God is in control and he is a good, good father as we just sung about. He gives good gifts to his children We can still trust, even in silence, because that's where faith comes in. We need to build this life of faith, even when we feel like God is not answering in the ways that we would like. Corrie ten Boom, she said it this way. She said, when the train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the driver. And Sometimes that's maybe a picture of how we think about prayer and faith in God when we don't always see what's going on and we feel like we're in a dark tunnel. So why should we pray? I think it's the most important activity of our lives. And for many, I know it doesn't come easy. But it's so incredibly important because we were made for it, to have a close and real and relevant relationship with God. And in the Alpha message this week, it talks about four Ps that I won't take time to unpack more, but it just says the presence, brings us into the presence of the living God. The peace, it offers the the peace that passes all understanding. Perspective, it helps us to see things on God's perspective, not as much on our perspective. And then, fourthly, power, that prayer changes us. It aligns our will with God's will. It also changes situations because God has shown in his word and has promised in his word that he responds to our prayers. It says in the prophets that he bends down to listen. This incredible image of the the living God. Karl Barth, he said, To clasp hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. And I would add, it's also the beginning of an uprising against the disorder in our own hearts. That's why we pray. I would encourage you as you enter into maybe a new season of prayer to keep it simple, keep it real, keep it going, persevere in it, and just continue to draw near to the living God who desires relationship with you. I want to invite us to pray, and as the worship team comes up, I would ask you to stand as we pray together.
Lord Jesus, I just thank you so much for your reconciling work that you have done. And the reason that we can pray, the reason that we can have a relationship with the living God is because of what you have done on the cross, and we praise you for that. Thank you that we can come to the Father with confidence and without fear, that we are welcomed in, that we are no longer in the outer courtyard, that we are welcomed in and, in fact, made part of the temple of God. What an amazing truth. And so, Lord, even as we stand here today, I I think of those words in Ephesians 6 that we just had a quick look at, Lord, that we are called to stand as we pray. It be one of the postures of prayer. As we stand on your promises, as we put on the armor of God, and God, would you just teach us to pray? Help it not to be so intimidating. Help it to be freeing. Help us to be encouraged by the prayers of others and also to encourage others by how we pray as well too. God, would you make us a praying people? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.